Hi, my name's Mike Pocek. I'm an author with the blog Civics Reaffirmed, and I'd like to introduce my friend. And I'm uh, Nathan Henry. I am also an author on the uh, Civics Reaffirmed blog. We're wanting to take a different approach uh, to the blog. In recent time, we've uh, mainly stuck with written posts, but we wanted to expand into a podcast to reach more of an audience that is more accustomed to uh, more ease of information and doesn't necessarily need to dedicate the time to read a blog post. So we decided to start podcasting. And uh, just to give you an overview of the blog, our purpose is to reaffirm the the fundamental tenets of a civil society uh, in pursuit of the self-evident truths that exist uh, that our founding fathers of the United States sought to achieve with the the Declaration of Independence and our Constitution. And the intent of this blog is to distill some of the news and distill some of the current events down to truth versus propaganda and how we can start working our way through the the noise that often happens in society. And so the topic of conversation today will be the self-interest of the state uh, and the state being defined for this discussion as the the, uh, progressive bureaucracy that's been defined by Woodrow Wilson uh, primarily in the late 1800s. He was a academic, to say the least. He was uh, the president of Princeton, and he wrote in a uh, periodical journal titled "The Study of Administration" that the that the state, the concept of the state and its duties, uh, is ever expanding and ever widening function, and that government is becoming more of an everyday occurrence, more complex and difficult, and so that the intent of government then must become more intense and more complex so as to multiply vastly in numbers. So to essentially distill that down, he was saying that the administrative agencies of government need to be created above the Constitution, above the branches of government that our founding fathers set forth so as to achieve the purpose of government, which would be independent of the political process and independent of the electorate. And I don't know, Nathan, you have any thoughts on that? Well, I think it's it's kind of indicative of the same idea uh, Obama really espoused. Um, it's an interview maybe a couple years ago. I can't remember exactly when it was, but uh, there's an interview where he actually admitted that uh, you know I the founding fathers basically made it much harder for me to enact change than I would like it to be, you know, and it's, I think it was kind of one of those little slips that he probably would like to have back in, in hindsight, but uh, that was really indicative, you know, and obviously I'm, I don't necessarily want to delve into party politics or anything like that, but I think, you know, the modern example, it was a fine modern example of that idea is that, you know, I, I they don't like it, the fact that they have to fight through that that system of check and balance, you know, because they believe that they know better than, than 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 the people do, and so this this process that burdens them that they they have to fight through in order to help the people out um, is is just that it's it's a burden for them. Um, and it was set in place deliberately, right? They understood that what would happen is if there was no check, there was no balance, there was no 
authority of the people, the will of the people, consent of the government, if you will, to check that. And I and, and in relation to your comment about his interview, I believe he said it was a charter of negative liberties. And the founding fathers would say, yes, it absolutely is a charter of neg negative liberties. By definition, it's uh, a negative right doesn't impose a will or an edict for anyone else to ensure that that right is protected. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, exercise of religion are all examples of negative rights. Uh, a positive right would be Medicare. A uh, positive right would be now the Affordable Care Act. You know, those things require action by other people, not necessarily privy to the private contract in order for it to be achieved. And they understood that this is, in a manner, a form of tyranny. So to kind of uh, further expand on the evidence of this self-interest, you know, you can say what you will about party politics, but if you look at the objective facts that the value of the dollar since 1913, which is when the Federal Reserve was chartered under the guidance or will of, of Woodrow Wilson, the the value of one dollar in 1913 now has to be $23.62, I'm sorry. So what would buy a dollar's worth of goods now requires $23. So you can say you know, all you can about the expansion of the monetary system, but there can be no argument that the value of the dollar has been diminished. Do you agree? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's the, the natural uh, outcome of inflation over time, right? So, um, yeah, and I, you know, and to go back on my earlier comment, I guess I should also qualify that there's, there's plenty of Republicans also that exhibit this mentality of, well, you know, I just need to break through and sort of get around the system because I know better what the people need than they even realize, right? Then this pesky system just keeps me from being able to deliver what the people actually want. Um, and I, I don't know. I think that's really interesting because it's, it's fascinating that, that you see these politicians even admitting to it sometimes. And it, it plays exactly right, in, you know, right into the hands of the founders and what they envisioned would happen. And uh, I think even some of the Fed's <coughs> policy these days... Is, is starting to kind of show this this idea that some of these politicians think that you know in order to help people they need to circumvent the system because the system is old and archaic and broken and and the system doesn't allow them to do all the things they need to do to best help the people. Well, and it's in the best interest of the state to never kind of lay its hand out there, right? It's never going to say this is what we're doing, this is the reasons why we're doing it. It's always a cover. It's always we're doing it for the people, right? You know. Every communist regime in the history of the world has always been declared the People's Republic. You know, People's Republic of China still exists, but, you know, it used to be the Soviet Union, and before that it was the People's Republic are, uh, of, of East Germany. So it's always like the antonym is really the true meaning. Mm -hmm. And it's becoming, like you said, more apparent that the, the motive of, of the Federal Reserve uh, in concert with the Treasury Department, is that they're not doing uh, altruism. They're not. They're not seeking altruism. They're 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 serving themselves by the very fact that that they work directly with each other. You know that the broad definition of the Federal Reserve is that it controls the monetary policy for the nation, meaning it controls 
how much money is in circulation, how much money is sent to banks. It sets it sets interest rates, uh, which have been ironically near zero for the 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 main extent of Obama's term, and it isn't a coincidence. It's more ironic that the Treasury Department controls the national fiscal policy. It's under the executive branch. It's under the Obama administration, and it controls how you spend the money. Is it ironic that the the entity, the single greatest entity in, in our economy that spends the most money is the federal government, and it then borrows money from itself at near 0% rate, and it makes it near impossible for the average person to save any money because the interest rates are set near zero. It makes it easier for you to borrow money, which puts more of the responsibility and the ownership of people's lives in the hands of others. It doesn't make you more independent, which is what the founders envisioned also as more of a self you know, self-sufficient organization, self-sufficient family unit, not something that not you know not an entity that's required to seek the lowest interest rate so that they can fund their operations it's like that that would be considered foolhardy uh by any stretch of the imagination uh, right uh, yeah yeah it's a it's an unfortunate uh progression you know it gets into the idea of uh you know in, in, in economics you know what what happens when you when you enforce any kind of surplus right you're sort of you know the fed ends up creating these or i'm sorry and enforcing a uh you know price controls so that they sort of are doing a price control right they're they're controlling the price of money right and so by doing that you do the exact same things that you do in any other market in economics right if you try to control the price of something you unavoidably either create shortages or surpluses neither of which are good right they're the the ideal allocation of resources happens when you know you have the supply matching the quantity demanded um and that doesn't happen when you when you create these uh subsidies and that's really what you're doing with the fed when you're holding these interest rates down so incredibly low um yeah, well there's, you, there's you're, a you're, pro- you're gonna you're gonna generate uh, distortions in the market right yeah, and, and there's a price for that you can't i mean that the the natural con, you know the conservation laws of of nature you know mass momentum all these energies you don't have something for nothing that's a trade off you're not going to get everything you want by doing something that that's easy you right if you do something you know it's the unseen right if you do something you're also not doing other things and so by printing money by expanding the monetary supply you are uh, disincentivizing private industry and you're promoting public industry because that's the only thing that can thrive because that's the only thing that has easy access to money uh you know when the the you can look at it as the 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 cost of money increases the further you go away from the federal reserve and the furthest you can go away from the federal reserve is your personal bank account cuz everybody has to make money down that chain you know from the the regional federal reserve down to the you know multinational banks bank of america uh citibank those types of places and then it has to go down if you have a, another layer uh so as as you get further and further away from the federal reserve the cost of money goes up because people are making money along the way just like anything else in the economy and it it strikes 
accord with me because we were never set up as a as an organization where government was the entity that thrived. You know, if you look at main streets and a lot of in a lot of small towns today, they're not thriving. They're not building. There's not shops opening up. There's not new businesses being created. But if you go to Washington and through the Beltway up through, you know, Philadelphia to New York to Boston, those regions are thriving because they have close ties and close associations with government. And it shouldn't be a surprise that that's what happens when you have that concentration of power, when you've essentially disconnected the people from the rule, the ruling, I should say, of Washington. And there's no feedback loop. They've cut that out. They've essentially said, this is what we're going to set and we're going to drive to this goal, regardless of what you say. And then it becomes all a matter of winning elections, 51%, right? Everyone, by and large today, walks around, runs around, and says, we live in a democracy. In this democracy, well, guess what? You know, read the Pledge of Allegiance. It doesn't say democracy. It says republic. And a republic protects minorities just as much as it allows the majority to kind of set the table, but it doesn't crush the minority. It kind of sets it up to be a a uh, uh, a consensual society, a civil society, one where you're respected for a differing opinion, not right. essentially told to go stand in a corner and wait till you can win a next election. Right. Exactly. It's uh, I think it's kind of scary how many people think that uh, this is a it's a horse race, right? If if my horse wins, well, I take it all. You know, you lose and go home and cry about it i don't really care but you you lose and now you're subject to my my will right and uh that's really not what the founding fathers intended no. uh, that's kind of a sad commentary maybe on our the education today too right if, if you get so many people that believe that that's actually how this system was intended to work is that you know when the majority wins then that was the country quote speaking and thus when the country quote speaks then that's be all end all that's the new law right you can just do whatever the majority says at that point and it's yeah i mean it really just be, ends up being a sad commentary on on education and what people understand about civics and how a society should theoretically operate well and to kind of strike a chord with what you said the the elections have consequences crowd exists both on the democratic side and the republican side and one that comes to mind is from the Republican side when uh, Senator Ted Cruz was doing his uh, unofficial filibuster over Obamacare uh, in the waning hours of, of, of his 23-hour discourse, John McCain got up in typical fashion and you know played played buddy-buddy with the Democrats and saying that, well, when we were debating this in 2009, we did everything we could to uh, amend it and uh, appease the the parts of the bill that we didn't like and we really really did try and listen to the public and accept you know the things that were unpopular about the legislation but you know we couldn't stop it and we couldn't we couldn't ultimately get what we wanted and uh so essentially he's he's essentially uh advocating his the the consequence of his actions he's saying we tried really hard we lost and then it went to the people in 2010, uh, and they they gained seats right uh, in the House and and t- 
took over the House. But he ignored that, and he went straight to 2012, and he says he was elected, President Obama was elected to second term, so we just need to accept it. He refused to acknowledge the 2010 victories, which were a direct result of Obamacare. And so the, the notion that he can just discon, you know, disconnect that result because that's not what he wants to see proves to me that the, the continuing perpetual cover for the, the self-interest of the bureaucracy is the political process, is this, is this process that Woodrow Wilson uh, described as being something that was detrimental to the necessary needs of government. And so what you've got is now you've got a shell game. You've got a form of entertainment between the Republicans and the Democrats. It's, it's theater. It's, uh, it's, it's a ruse on the American people. And it's amazing how many people buy into it that, you know, if, if, you're, a, if you're a Democrat, you're supposed to oppose the Republicans and vice versa. And it's an, it's an indication of the, the decrease in educational wherewithal, right? We have essentially uh, demoted the political process, the, the governance of our country, to uh, Roman gladiator theater with a thumb up and down and cheering for people's death and uh, cheering for people's destruction. It, it's really sad. It's really deplorable when you think about it that you're willing to not understand the consequences of uh, a policy that go- goes awry as long as your party's in control, right? Medicare expansion under Bush is a perfect example. Uh, Medicare Part D, I believe it was, passed, right? A Republican controlled, and everyone was like, well, we can't talk about that because the Republicans are in charge. But all the while, the Democrats are screaming that, you know, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. But if they would have been in charge, they would have said, it's good, it's good, it's good, right? Sure. And yeah. so it's a classic example of, of, of double speak, of uh, hypocrisy at the highest level. Well, and it's only, it's only natural when you, you know, if you examine the, the driving forces for a politician, it's only natural for, them to, for you to expect them to act like they do, right? Just petulant children that, you know, the only time they're going to root for something is if it's their horse winning the race, right? That's the only time that they're ever going to support anything. You know, it's basically relegated to nothing more than sort of a, an emotional sports fan mentality. A fanatic. Right. Exactly. That's all it is. And I'm only going to support it if it makes me look good. And I'm not going to support it if it doesn't make me look good, regardless of whether it serves the people. That's natural, right? The Their their pressure is to act like that, right? If you examine, you know, how, what is their job, right? Their job is to basically get reelected. If they want to get paid, they have to get reelected. And thus, if you want to get reelected, you need to look good, right? Perception is reality. Sure. So <clears throat> if you want to want to get reelected well you gotta say the right things to the right people and you always gotta look good so i guess my point is that it's 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 understandable for politicians to act like that maybe not excusable but it's understandable but for people to act like that you know for the every common everyday american when you see so much of this you know and I'll, I'll admit it you know i i used to think a lot like that you know i used to be the yeah. the standard oh i'm a republican and you know 
uh, if Bush does something, then I got to defend it because, uh, well, my that's guy. my horse, right? So I got to, I got to defend him. Yeah. That's my team. Well, so I mean, I was, I was in high school, uh, graduated in 2003. And before that I was in, you know, I was still in high school when, you know, September 11th happened and we created the Department of Homeland Security and Patriot Act. Oh my gosh. How can you, how can you go against an act that is patriotic by its that's very right. name? America. Right? It's just as it's just as uh, uh, diabolical of a name as the Affordable Care Act. True. You know the names of these things are just they're they're comedy. It it, it is amazing how much those uh, when you're when you're trying to sell something when you're trying to sell that would otherwise need uh, a yeah. lot of help for you to justify right. Yeah. Then that's where you go is you have to come up with some ridiculous euphemism that. And then obviously when I've come of age and become more mature and more aware of society's progress if you want to call it that the patriot act is an abomination it is it's a it's a direct abuse certainly of 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 the fourth amendment but in a lot of other ways it's just it's just something that has been normalized in society as saying well we need this to be safe well benjamin franklin said it best that if you're if you would rather trade liberty for security you deserve neither and i agree because he can't he can't, meaning the president or the, the Congress, can't guarantee a security because it's impossible. It's something that's unobtainable. But they'll promise it. But what you're going to trade is you're going to trade your freedom for it. Right. And that's what they really want. That's what they really. That's that's what they're getting at is the uh, assert, assertion of power, mm-hmm. the collection of power under their umbrella. Now, it may get exercised in a Republican manner when they're in charge, and it may be exercised in a Democrat manner when they're in charge. But the power, no less, stays with Washington, stays with the bureaucracy. It stays with the, the pseudo-fascist Wall Street that is tied right with the, the government and goes buddy-buddy with the uh, Treasury Department when it needs help, and then... Uh, well, it's, yeah, and it's the Wall Street thing. That's that's the great irony I love with um, the, the left-leaning people on our in today's world is that they, you know, they really hate Wall Street and they hate how connected those people are in politics. But then they want to elevate the power of government, right? It's like, well, yeah. you, at some point you have to realize that by it's a double-edged sword. By giving the government more power, you also allow them more ability to get jump in bed with those people that you hate so much on wall street that you think are so evil, you know, it's a, it's, it's a, you know, that's the problem, I guess, is we don't acknowledge the double edged swords of, of what we're doing. We don't want to look to government as being the problem, right? Because all in our, our entire upbringing education is, as, as pitch government as being the solution to all problems is, you know, it's supposed to be that benevolent altruistic. I'm here for you, but don't pay attention to the, to the uh, results of my promises you know it's the when you when you choose to not acknowledge the truth that's what you get and that's and and that's kind of what the blog this blog is trying to get at is that you know what you see on the surface level what you see the news media report isn't the truth it's it's uh, i would say largely the uh the the fiction of what they're trying to present as being what they want you to know, not what, not what's actually happening, 
right? Or in a lot of cases, I think it's just what they want their what they think their audience wants to hear, right? It's just the natural, you know, Fox knows what their demographic is. You know, they're not stupid. They have a lot of people, I'm sure, that make a lot of money in their marketing department to understand very, very well who their demographic is, just like MSNBC understands exactly who yeah. their demographic is, right? So they're going to cater, they're naturally going to cater to that demographic. You know, they've etched out their part of the market and they're going to cater to it, you know? Yeah. More power to you. It's not, not when you start outright lying, like both of them do in some cases, but... Well, that's, and that's, and that's where I get, that's where I go wrong, right? Or that's where I go cross. I get cross with people when they, when they present themselves as objective, when they present themselves as being truth seekers or the proverbial fact checkers and then go straight into being subjective again uh, you know there's lots of news media outlets that, that kind of play both sides of the fence uh, but the but I actually have a lot of respect or I have more respect I can actually sit down and understand where you're coming from like I know MSNBC is biased but don't tell me it's not biased have have confidence in enough that you say yes we cater to those people who believe in central planning authorities uh administrative government more powerful government that's what we stand for perfectly fine i can disagree with you but respect your opinion Mm -hmm. but don't try and tell me that you are presenting news objectively in the manner of the and what in what the first amendment says free press means which means looking at someone and, and distilling down what has actually happening and then presenting those as facts. I mean, more and lar- by and large, those organizations are more uh, commentary and opinion than anything else. Well, it's entertainment, yeah. right? That's really what, it's, what well, it is. Sure. It, it has it's, to be entertainment, right? So, Otherwise, nobody will watch it. Right, exactly. Especially um, when you've got other avenues, you know, sports and, and Hollywood and all those sorts of organizations vying for your attention. I mean, that's the birth of the 24-hour cable TV uh, movement, really. It started with CNN, but, you know, I mean, it had its time and place, but you can't argue that we are uh, addicted to that. I need to know what's going on at all times. I don't care if it's relevant or not. I don't care if it's truthful or not. We're not seeking the truth anymore. We're just seeking information, right? We, We're just seeking to listen to something that reinforces what you already believe, right? You're not. I think that's part of the problem yeah. is pe- people don't want to go out and challenge themselves. You know, it's it's um, you know we joke about our operation other side, right? And I think it's fun because you actually get to go out and you get you get to see what people from other sources see or, or from other. You know, other beliefs see you get to see the sources that other people draw from, um, and you get to think about it. Right, it causes you to think about stuff, um, and I think that's good. You know, I, I like to believe that. You know, in theory, if I could somehow w- wipe my slate clean, you know, and just wake up tomorrow and I didn't have any political persuasion, I like to believe that. You know, when I when I go and start evaluating things on some subject I haven't thought about or. Um, you know, try to build my opinion on something. That it should be like that, right? That I'm, I just go out and look at these sources, and I try to think about it logically. Well, what actually makes sense, right? And that's not to say that I always come to a logical conclusion. You know, there's always some bias. There's always some emotional component to everything, right? But I think that's that's the the ultimate goal would be to be able to walk into this situation without a bunch of emotion tied to it and a bunch of predetermined ideas about something, and be able to just openly, you know digest the information coming from either side of it 
and make a logical decision based on that, right? And I don't think that there's a lot of people that it's hard to do that, right? That requires you to be able to challenge something that you hold dear sure. in a lot of cases because as a human, you don't have a clean slate when you wake up in the morning. You have everything, anything but a clean slate when you no, wake up in the morning. No, we're very so, much a we're we're very much a individual that seeks experience right we see things through one set of eyes we see things how we have lived our life people we've come in contact with uh, they all have also have individual opinions that are transient right that you know when you talk to your um, when you talk to your friends they change you know so your experience is 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 a uh, is a transient thing it's not fixed you don't hold the same convictions that you held when you were 10 years old and you won't hold them when you're 50 uh, but the the 30,000 foot question here is is this discourse productive uh, what's the goal what's the objective uh, for for this uh, discourse between this party politics and I think if we can kind of ascertain the, the merits of it we, we reach back to the founders uh, that had some opinion on this that understood kind of the process that a free society will gravitate towards if not held in check by well-informed citizenry and and we can read a quote from John Adams who was our second president in a letter to I, I guess a, a friend of his named Jonathan Jackson in 1780 he says there is nothing which I dread more so much as a division of the republic into two great parties, each arranged under its leader and concerting measures in opposition to each other. This, in my humble apprehension, is to be dreaded as the greatest political evil under our Constitution. That's pretty clear. He looked at party politics as being a detriment to the Constitution, and the Constitution being the charter of rights given to the people through the federal government to ensure the greatest prosperity for all, general welfare, the prosperity, you know, we the people uh, succeeding, expanding, prospering, growing. Well, the government basically protecting their rights, right? You know, just protecting their natural rights, right, is the sure. idea of, Allowing, yeah, they already have the rights, it's just the only, the only legitimate government... Is, is one that just simply respects those rights and tries to protect those rights. And acknowledges you know. them as being uh, entities not given to them by the by that government. It's, giving, it's acknowledging that those things naturally exist. The essence of being alive and being a human in society provides for these rights. And it's a government, a legitimate government, a worthy government, acknowledges those rights and protects them from abuse, by itself, by from the by, you know visa via the government, mm -hmm. and also from other individuals. You know we're protected, you know through the rule of law from from abuse by other individuals, and so the, George Washington had a comment on that as well. He essentially says that the the alter, alternate domination of one faction over another, sharpened by the spirit of revenge, natural. To a par to party dis dissension, which is in different age and countries, has prep uh, perpetuated the most horrid of enormities. Now, George Washington tended to be more of a uh, colorful wordsmith than 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 most people are accustomed to. If you want to look at it, essentially he said that 
the the motivation for party politics is the spirit of revenge and you know obama said this prior to the 2012 election he says that our time for revenge is is near and and we were kind of uh, when i say we people who support the opposite of his views looked at it that as a kind of a cockeyed uh way you know we thought he'd slipped there we thought he had you know made up you know made a mental cue a mental error but in fact he was appeasing the people who he was going to get votes from was it saying that now is our time to, to shut to him yeah to, to shut the other people down yeah and my question is that i don't i don't really i don't really like that i don't like i don't like that derision i don't like that that uh conflict that butting of heads that doesn't that doesn't give me any satisfaction to crush somebody uh who believes differently than me I think we should live in a consensual society, a voluntary society, where both of us have an understanding of what we need to do, uh, what our lives, our purposes are for, and working together to achieve that. And I believe that happens at an individual level, not someone telling me that I can operate in this envelope and I have to pay this tax rate, and then I could do whatever I want with my money. Are you trying to tell me that your self-interest should uh, come before society's goals, Mike? Is that <laughs> what you're trying to tell me right now? Perhaps. Oh, yeah. my. Uh, my it, goodness. I mean, all of us can acknowledge that the at least the enumerated powers in the Constitution are some things that the national government has an interest in doing. But I would also agree with a lot of people that say that uh, the states need to be more involved in our day-to-day -day lives than the federal government. And even at the state level, I would argue, doesn't have a lot of purview over my life. And that concludes the first half of the first Civics Reaffirmed audio blog. You can look forward to the second half coming soon.